In a world of change and uncertainty, the one thing that should always remain constant is being true to yourself. Join us. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Get Over It podcast. I am your host, Dr. Christopher Fasano. And before we begin, I just want to remind you guys out there listening, the easiest way to get new episodes of this show are to subscribe to your favorite pod player, Apple Podcast, Spotify. If you prefer to watch the show, subscribe on YouTube. And remember, please leave us a five-star review. Let us know how we're doing. That'll help the show move up so more people can hear our guests and tell their stories about how we all can get over it. So let's get on to the show today. Our guest today is Greg Adela. Greg is an award-winning comedian, actor, producer, professional MC, fundraiser, all the things that you know I once was in life. Um, based in New York, he's performed in New York City to LA with such comedians as like my hero, Jerry Seinfeld, Colin Quinn, Kathleen Madigan, and Dave Attell. He's not really my hero. I guess he's just like someone that I love so much. Uh, and recently, Greg jumped into the political arena. Um, God bless him. And we're going to try to I'm um, trying to understand uh, that a little bit from him. We're going to talk to him about all of these things right now. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, doctor. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, it's great. And, and I just want to say you did a great job with Hamilton. Uh, Thank you. you did a, you know, I appreciate that. Thank you. Have you ever got that? Have, has, has anybody Dude, ever you know said it's, that? It's so weird you're saying this right now. First of all, <laughs> for everyone listening, I want to caution everybody. You have two Italian people going back and forth. They might get loud. I might knock the microphone out of the way, so apologize as we go. Um, I was just in Florida visiting my, my parents. They're down in Delray Beach. You know, they live in one of those 55 plus communities. So so we go there, we're swimming. And there's this woman, this older woman doing these, you know, her like her back and forth laps. And she's staring at me. She's like staring at me in a weird way. And so I feel like she wanted to say something to me. So, you know, I, I sort of stopped and I said, hello. And she goes, are you Lin-Manuel Miranda? And I said, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, what could I do here, you know? What should I do? And I'm like, I'm not. She's like, you look just like him. And I'm like, well, I, I wish I had the talent of Lin-Manuel Miranda. But I've gotten that before. I don't see yeah. it, though. I don't see oh. it. Maybe it's the hair. Oh. Like he's got this quaff in the front thing going down. It could. Well, Italians, I think we all have that quaff thing going. Um, but no, you do, you do resemble uh, him. And uh, it's it's uncanny. Really? All right. Well, yeah. so then I need to pick up another, uh, maybe another side hustle, and that's like a doppelganger. Maybe I can just go pose as him somewhere. I don't. Know, yeah, you be. should. And it's people ask for a picture. It's five dollars a picture. That's all. I might do that. Sold. <laughs> that's so weird that this year literally just came off some a sighting of that. So that's really funny. Um, that's why Great. I got the Hamilton reference so quickly. Um, so Greg, let's let's. Yeah. Um, you know, for a lot of people are listening to the show, they're in where we live in the Albany area, the Albany DMA, yeah. the Metro, but there are people that are listening that are not. So uh, for people that might not be familiar with yourself, can you just introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a little bit about yourself currently, what you know, what, what you what you what you do, who you are, really. Well, I want to go back then and we'll talk yeah. about how you got there. Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, well, I was born in uh, just in the suburbs of Albany, New York, in um, in Loudonville, New York. And uh, I'm, you're really talking to a very uh, fortunate uh, guy. I'm, I'm one of eight children. Um, one of eight my, children. I'm one of eight Italian Irish Catholic. Ooh. And um, how, my, how wide is the range? Like the youngest from oldest, you know what I mean? Like, so what's 11 the, years, 11 years is the spread. Yeah. Okay. My mother, my mother had all eight of us naturally in 11 years. Ooh. God bless her. God bless her. I know. And um, I have four older sisters, two older brothers, and a younger brother. And I have a unique situation in, in my life. My, uh, my grandfather, you know, we were talking a little bit um, off air about my grandfather was born and raised in Sicily, Italy, and, and then came over to the U.S. and started a small auto dealership in Albany, New York in 1943, which is, which is still open. It's, we're celebrating 79 years this year. My wow. father and brother's Same ride. place, right? Same place? Same, yeah. Same era, yeah. same location, I should say. Yep. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And um, Quail Auto Sales. And, um, and then, you, you know, uh, my mother uh, lost her battle to breast cancer in 1981. And Ooh, I'm sorry. my father uh, my parents were both 43 at the time and you were how my old greg how old were you at the time i was you seven you were seven okay yeah and my father um and i've written about him in magazines interviews him um 
you know, I've brought him with me all over the, the states and, and um, for magazines. And I, I like to share my 20 year career with him because he really is truly amazing. You should actually interview him. Uh, he, he never remarried. He never smoked. He never drank. He never hit us. He put us through school. He married off my sisters all by all while running the business. And um, that as and I'll never forget this, Chris, because your, your, your study is this. When when my mother died, my father gathered us together and said, we'll get through this with three things. And that's love, teamwork and humor. And we had such a great support system growing up with family, uh, friends, neighbors, um, and that are still in our lives today. Mm -hmm. And it really made a soft landing for something that was very difficult. Now, as I grew personally, and I've written about this and talked about it in keynote talks, there were definitely struggles that I had internally. You know, on the outside, it looked okay, but, you know, uh, growing up, you're, you're wondering, you know, what the hell just happened? Right. right. And then You'd you ex- have your I would expect nothing else. I mean, you wouldn't be human if yeah. you were not internally struggled, especially with experience Correct. like that. Right. Yep. Yes. And then, it, and then it comes up, it ebbs and flows throughout life. Um, but I always, and I can speak on behalf of my brothers and sisters with this. We always had a, a base to come back to that was supportive, positive, and loving. And if you think about that in today's terms, um, family life is there's a lot that are, it's just broken. Mm-hmm. And I don't take uh, that for granted of what I had. And I still don't. In fact, my father is 83 years old and he still talks to, he calls and we talk to him every single day, all eight of us. And it's very important to me because, you know, as, as you know, uh, being Italian is we had Sundays where, you know, yes. uh, Italian day, right. Yep. We had, uh, you know, church, and then my father cooked this breakfast, and then we went to my grandmother's house yeah. every single Sunday. And I think that, and I know that still happens in today's society, but I really think that that fabric has been torn and stretched. And it's, uh, I hope that we can get back to those uh, type of traditions, especially in the States, uh, to show and to celebrate uh, who we are, where we come from, and to not take that for granted. You know, Greg, I just, I'm sorry to interrupt you for one sec. Because no, please. I, 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 you know, my grandfather, so my dad's side, um, so my grandma and grandpa on my dad's side, We, my dad has a lot of siblings, aunts and uncles. Together, I think there was like 24 cousins or something like that. And every <laughs> single Sunday, or it was like every other Sunday, because I would spend the other Sunday at my other grandparents' house, right? So it was like, oh, they're both a town, so we'd alternate. But... Like my grandfather passed maybe like four or five years ago. He was 91 when he passed. And we were reflecting back on all like, you know, on that. And like you said, which I think is interesting, is that we don't we don't we don't have those Sundays like we used to anymore. Like with my brothers, you know, we live in different places. It's a little bit of a different logistical setup. We try, you know, we still get together. But when I think back about what was done, having, you know, eight adults 20 some odd kids, one woman, really, my grandmother, cooking for everyone every single Sunday. The amount of effort that took to maintain was incredible. Knowing now what I know what it's like to be a parent, just to be like an adult. Um, But what we got from that was something that I could never, like you don't really think about, when you're in it, it's just fun. You're going to hang out with your cousins, it's fun. When you're older, and you look back on it, you realize that it gave you a lot more than just that fun. Like it, oh, sure. it. I always knew that no matter what happened to me or where I what, where I went wrong or where I went right, there was someone, one of thirty eight people, that I could always find and find solace and comfort and come back to. Like you said, it was like this place that was provided beyond my my family of five, my parents, my mm-hmm. two brothers. I had this other crew that would roll with me and no matter what happened I had them and I don't really talk to my cousins that much anymore we still you know more some I speak to more than others but I know I could pick up the phone 
at any time and I could call them and I could say to them, I, listen, I need your help with something and they would be there for me immediately. Mm -hmm. And it was all because of that foundation that they yeah. built for us. And I agree with yeah. you. I don't think we have that anymore. And I don't know if it's logistics or if it's just the, the importance is gone. I, I don't know where that lies, but sometimes I get frustrated well, in our own lacking in mind, you know? Well, it's funny because I've had that discussion before. And the three things with Sundays at my grandmother was this. It, it was fantastic. She always had a new joke every week. She would tell us, and this was every week, she would tell us to say yes to life, um, do what makes you happy. Uh, and I remember this. She said, um, you can do anything in this world. And here's what's something where she taught us, and and it's, it's something that I'll, I'll never forget. She taught us perspective this way, I'll seriously. She talked to us every week, either one-on-one -on -one or in groups, you know, while we were talking or playing in the yard. And that house is still in our family, by the way, you Jeez. know, where my dad grew up. But she had said this. She would say, you know, what happened with your mother is a horrible thing. You know, it's just, it's sad and, and we'll get through it. And she said this. She said, remember, there's always someone worse off in this world. And... Right, you're like... I didn't know how to... How right. do you accept that as a seven-year-old? I, I couldn't right. even make right. sense of it. But as you got, as I got older and I reflected on it and I espoused that in my talks or in coaching that I said, well, damn, that is severe perspective that gives empathy, um, understanding the benefit of the doubt, you know, like when we're driving and, and someone, you know, aggravates you driving and you're like, uh, but you're like, you don't know what that person's going through. Correct. Um, I always give that benefit of the doubt. And I know it goes back to, you know, my grandmother and my father reinforcing that. So, um, and also, <laughs> excuse me, one time after church, I was with, oh, this is years ago. I was with older, one of my priest friends and, and some, um, uh, older, uh, gentlemen, we were just out and he said, he goes, this is why I feel what happened in this country is because Sunday is not sacred anymore with everything open. It's become a Tuesday. So there's no day really of rest. And, um, there's no, there's no feeling that this is a day where you should just sort of like go in, sort of be yes. something, not, you know, yeah. Exactly, because it's, there's, first of all, in this world, there's too much stimuli. No human brain, as you know, you probably know best. No, cannot it's not digest designed it. for that. Yes, correct. It's not. No, it's, it's not. too much. It's too much. So I, I, I do hope that, and, and things change and grow and families um you know, move and, and distant. But I think if you can even have that connection and that's why even when, you know, we talk to my dad every single day, you know, we're, we're drawn back into that uh, feeling of, of um, a solid foundation and, and, and in a safe way, you know? Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's really the word. There's a safety around thinking back to those days um, of coming together. Because like I said, like I remember that even being like a teenager in high school, going through stuff teens think of, I still was going there on Sundays, you know? And like, I would always have a, a like a, it would be like a reset for me before my week. Going to grandma's yeah. house, sit, going down. On the, I, I, I remember the smell when I walked in the house. Yeah. I remember the steps going into the basement. In fact, like, yeah. I was just talking to my cousin about this for Christmas time. We would, there was no room, it was all of us. So we'd have to sit up the steps and watch people <laughs> open up gifts. And like those memories are so strong, but they they yeah. set us up. They set me up for, for trying to make sure my kid at least always understands that there is this family situation and it matters. And it matters not just because they're your family, but it matters because life is uncertain and life is going to be throwing a lot of crap at you. And you need to know that there's a place to come back to. And it, yeah. it goes beyond just your mom and your dad. You have other people around. Mm -hmm. So like going along like with your story, you had this 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 tragedy, this loss that affected you. You had a you had a family to round you to sort of help you through. You mentioned your um, you mentioned your grandma with joke. Uh, and yeah. so like there was a lightness there. So your, your, your comedic venture 
Did that come from there? Did you have this, did you explore comedy as a way to lighten and as a way to make, the, you know, tell me how you sort of got into that comedic exploration. Was it just that you just enjoyed it or did you find it as an outlet to explore, to like let yourself down a little bit? Well, it's, it's I guess it encompasses all of that. So the genesis of that is, you know, my father uh, and my brothers and sisters have really quick wit. And, you know, humor does heal, right? So we would watch, oh my gosh, you know, growing up, obviously it was like cartoons and, and even something as silly as Tom and Jerry, you know, it's, it's really, cartoons are like acid for kids, right? Because you're like, how the heck did they do that? Right, right, right. Figure it out, right? Colorful and, and everything's running around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, like Wiley Coyote falls off a cliff, but the next episode he's alive again. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> you know, it's like crazy. But um um, we always, we want like three stooges and, 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 uh, just really fun stuff to take away from that. And then, um, I started, uh, playing music in third grade. My grandfather played trumpet and we had, uh, almost, geez, we had seven instruments in the home. And so I, we played through school. So I played trumpet third grade through high school. And, um, and then I picked up guitar, harmonica, and drums to the day because it, it really means a lot to me. It's a gift from my grandfather, um, and it's, it's, it, it's an escape. In high school, I – well, actually, it was uh, in fifth grade. I'll never forget. My friends and I did a skit called The Wrong Brothers, and we would just tell jokes when we were dressed as hobos. I posted about it a few years ago because I found the picture. And um, – and then there was always something about, um, I guess, an escape, but where everyone felt good. So in high school, I was asked to host a couple of events, like Variety Show, uh, Battle of Bands. Okay. And I really liked hosting. I really did. And then I went to college. And then um, my senior year, I had enough credits my spring semester. So they said you could take what you want. So I took a theater class. <laughs> Excuse well, me. What, what were you in? What were? What was the? What was your major in college? Were you in arts or were you? Yeah, it was okay. arts. You were yeah. arts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I had arts. My social sciences. I got. I was. You know, like you, was about the brain. I really wanted to see. You know, what's really out there. And so I took a theater and acting, and I took up a um, a relationship still to the day with my acting professor, who really just opened me up to a whole world of said you know, you've never done this, but you've got something. And I was like, okay, well, you know, my mother, because I didn't get to know her, I got to know her through stories. She, my parents are both uh, college business grads, but my my mother was a painter. We have some of her journals. Mm. She liked Broadway plays. And I started to feel this mix coming together of my parents into me. Right, like you had, you fit, yep, the combination, yep. yep. Right? Yeah. Yep. So, uh, I did, I had fun and then, you know, I wound up doing um, a couple plays and then, which, uh, I don't want to upset anybody, but, uh, I love, I love live theater. I just couldn't stand the drama of the people in casts mm -hmm. at times. I was like, mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, it's too much for me. Get over it. Right. Uh, literally get over it. Um, right. See, so, um, then this happened. It was, I was uh, 27 at the time, and I saw uh, an advertisement in the back of a, um, a paper in Albany, New York, that was, they were looking for uh, stand-up comedians to perform with Colin Quinn from Saturday Night Live. And it was a benefit show over at a theater in Troy, New York. And I, um, this is all absolutely 100% true, and I can't believe it happened because I would never let this happen on the show I produce. <laughs> So I, I reached out to the guy. There was a number. And he said, and I said, you know, I'd like to perform on the show. Never done stand-up before. Just a big ad admirer of it. Like, I was, I was a big Letterman fan. I used to watch Rodney Dangerfield's mm -hmm. um, New Year's Eve shows on HBO. And actually, I used to sneak those. So, <laughs> um, And then uh, I called the guy, and he goes, have you ever done it before? And I said, no, I haven't. He goes, I, I can't do anything for you. Another week went by. Um, and I, something just kept pulling me, you know, that magnet yeah, pull. Yep. So I called him again and he said, didn't I talk to you last week? And I said, yes. And he goes, I can't do anything unless you have, you know, a tape. All right. Third week came around. So I called him 
And I said, uh, I really, something's pulling me to get on that show. Could you give me a shot? And he said, um, uh, I need a tape. And this is all, I, I have no idea where this came from, but I said, I only perform on Southwest and Amtrak and they don't allow me to tape. <laughs> I have no idea where that came from, by the way, Christopher. I have no idea. So I, it, it went silent and I thought, okay, this, it's over. That's it. Right? I mean, it was silent. And then I heard a voice and he said, let me call Colin and I'll get back to you. Okay, thank you. And I said, well, that was a good try. Well, he did. He called me back about three days later, I believe it was, a long time ago, uh, three days later and said, Colin said he'll give you 10 minutes. And this is a quote, but you better be effing funny. Uh-oh. <laughs> so... I had six weeks before the show. It was August of 2001. And um, I got my family and friends together. And what we did was, the formula was, let's take funny stories of us, stuff we like, and right. then you know try something. So I did. Christopher, th there was 400 people that showed up for this show. And they put me on first. Oh, boy. So the yeah. crowd's like not even ready. You know, you got to get... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not yeah. Even, I mean, it's just... Uh, I'm like, was oh your my. family there? Were, was your family able to go? Like, were they in the room? I had 35 people myself that I know. Okay, you stacked it yeah. a little bit. You had some laughs going. Okay, all right. Yeah, well, yeah. Out of those 35, I think three. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> so how did it go? Like, how what? How did it go? Yeah, here's the thing. A couple of the joke. It it went. It went well, and this is how I know it went well. Although it was, I, it was. It was like a tornado. Like you can't remember everything. But a couple of the jokes landed. And then afterwards, all I did was I pulled a chair up and I sat right behind the curtain so I could just watch everything. And at the time, Nick DiPaolo was, is a good friend with Colin Quinn and was opening for him. So I just sat and watched and, and learned. And I'll never forget this. Just looking out at the crowd, it was like something went off, like a light bulb. It said, this, this is what I like, bringing people together mm -hmm. Uh, and they are, um, they're getting through possibly their tough day or tough week through laughter. And I could relate to that. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like our Sundays. They were going to a place, right? Yeah. They're, they, I mean, you know, different, but the concept was they were wanted to leave. They had a bunch of crap and they were coming to this place to sort of forget about it for a little while and feel safe in the, whatever the situation was. And exactly. you were there to provide some comfort in a way. Correct. And it felt like being from a large family, it felt very much like home, which which actually I taught in workshops, you know, make the show, pretend you're in your living room. And how do you want people to feel in your home? And that's how, you know, I actually try to calm people's nerves. So the I'll never forget the host was from um, uh, Pix 106 in Albany. And he said, hey, he goes, that was a pretty good set. How long have you been doing it? And I said, that was this my, is my first, first time. time. My first time. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, you got something. Well, after that show, I didn't know because Albany really didn't have a scene at all. Right. Until I heard PIX 106 was having a stand-up competition in Albany. And you had to win by audience applause. I think it was five weeks long, every Friday, different people. And then it, if you won a certain week, it got you to the finals. So I went... Um, the one Friday and I got to the finals and then I wound up winning, but I had no idea what the hell to do. I'm like, well, I don't know. Albany's not a Mecca for entertainment. It, it was years ago before we walked the planet. Um, but it's, it's not anymore. So I'll never forget. Uh, one of, I wound up doing that. Let's see. It came up late that fall of 01 into 02. I met, um, some a guy that was directing a play at Capitol Rep. Okay, it was an experimental play, and I auditioned and I got a part. And then I met a couple guys in there that were into stand up, and they told me about a club that was an hour outside of Albany. So I went. I met the owners. Auditioned. They offered me a hosting job, five shows a week for six weeks, and then from there, Chris, <laughs> excuse me, I met pro comics from the right. road. Yeah, and then you know. But and what really catapulted it was this, and I'll make this brief because there's so much to it. 
I loved hosting and it goes back to Sundays, mm-hmm. you know, like just bringing people together. I never set out to be the funniest person in the world. I didn't, it wasn't me. I, I know I, I've got wit, but I, I like being a host. Right. So he said, Greg, I'll never forget this. It was a guy from West Virginia named Chris Ciardi. And it was the last show. It was right before a 10 o'clock show. And I was taking notes and he, he came over and he said, it was a nice week working with you. And he said, listen, you're organized. You've got presence. You can host. You should consider producing shows as fundraisers for like fire departments, elk lodges and stuff. So I appreciate that. Not a month went by and I got a phone call from the fire department in my hometown of Loudonville that said, we heard you're doing this. Would you help us put a show together? I said, yes, I will. And at that time, I just got involved in New York City, the scene. So I was bringing up professionals, friends that I met, and then that landed, the fundraiser, and then it started to open up a little bit. Okay. And and then like the local newspapers um, wrote about me. And then um, I got on my first radio show, which was a guy named Dan Lynch. Um, he passed away, but he was so great to me. He invited me in and uh, I'd never been on the radio before. And after that, the next day I got a call from the local Budweiser affiliate and they sat, they wanted to meet with me and they liked this young approach. Um, and they were really pushing like Bud Light and Mick Ultra. And they said, I sat and met with them and, um, they wanted to sponsor me and they went on to sponsor me for 10 years. Really? And they, yeah, they covered my promo material. They paid for ads, shirts. I was so fortunate and, and thankful for that. And then it really started to open but up. But they were where, sponsoring you doing what now? Like, is it comedy routines or anything you did? Just your your hosting efforts? Like, what was it? So what they did is they paid for the ads in the paper. They paid, they did all my promo material. Uh, promo, That's, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was okay. all promo. They gave, uh, it was like five or six cases to each club where I was playing. So there were specials. I see. Um, it, it was, but that... You, you know, promo material is expensive and yep. I still have it. You yep. know, I had all the comics sign them along the years and, and uh, uh, I was so thankful to all them. And then I started doing independent shows in Albany. I knew friends that managed. And then from there, uh, it started, I started getting West Coast shows. And then in 05, I wanted to be the entrepreneur because I come from that family uh, in my bloodline. And I formed my own company in 05, Radio Gauge Entertainment. In 06, I launched the Brouhaha Comedy Showcase, um, which I toured right up until COVID. And that's a 90-minute show I hosted. It had two headliners. And then from there, I got an agent. It went into commercial work. Then I got film work, then national work. Um, and it was, it, you, you know, you're just in it. You stay positive. Um, I did positive psychology. Um, what built my name a lot was was this alone. Um, I would pay each performer, and I still do this, by the way. I would pay them full, full, in full before the show even started. So they didn't have to worry about that. Just focus. The business is over. Let's focus on the show. And uh, I had a blast. Uh, I, I don't have one regret uh, at all in, in, in 20 years that I put into entertainment. I really don't because I, you know, I got involved in charities. I got right. on foundation, board members at foundations, help raise money. And um, the Capital District is a very giving area. And, and to be part of, um, you know, to have them come in and help them raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, literally, um, it means a great deal to me because it's, it's, it's giving to people that really need it most. Um, now, all along there, uh, I would still put in 30 hours a week at our family business until finally I had oh, to you were still break doing from that. that. Wow. Okay. Oh, I had because Italian family. Yeah, right. So exactly. I'm, I'm trying to do it. All. But they were very flexible. My, I, I'm very blessed. And then I, I finally broke off of that. And so um, it was it was a thrill to, within those 20 years, to be invited to these events, to meet celebrities, to um, that are just regular people anyway, by the way. If it's right. right. With, you their, know, own, just with their own issues. that veil. Every, you know, I, I don't get you know, goofy about it, but it was cool to meet people that was like, wow, holy, that's, now I'm in the same room with these people. Um, and that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, but in, in it, but I kept saying, I never wanted to, uh, you know, I kept my friends in my life off stage are my, my guy friends, my five guy friends were from, from when we're children, 
and we still talk once a week and we're all spread throughout the states so it's uh, I, I kept grounded um, um, people come into my office and they're like where are all the pictures with all these people that you met and I said, it's nothing I have a nice and neat tucked away those right. are memories right but I'm but always not, ready for the, right exactly yep yeah yep. I'm, I'm always ready for the next challenge adventure you know experience let me um, ask you quickly about um, the, the I want to understand quickly the business model of the comic. Like I never yeah. understood that. So like you know the comic that does the the stand up, they touring around, they're doing shows. How are they making their money? I always wondered that. In other words, like, is it based on how full it gets for them, or like, do you get a spot in a show and they say, look, we're gonna give you we're gonna give you this the one o'clock in the morning spot, and we're gonna pay you fifty bucks. Like, is it all hammered out, or if you bomb completely and two people show up, you don't get paid as much? Like, what's the economics of it? I was always curious to know that. Yeah, no, you're guaranteed money. You, you are know, okay. Um, Doesn't matter. Yeah, okay. you're you are guaranteed money, and clubs don't pay. Um, clubs don't pay much at all. That's why you, you, in, in this, especially like in the city, you got to hustle around to get four or five spots. When I started to grow my audience and, you know, two, 300 people, that's when people, you know, start paying attention to, right. um, and then you, they would buy my showcase. So everything's, um, you know, contract, um, worked out beforehand. It's guaranteed money. And I also push it. I do a lot to help those people, you know, make that money so everyone is it's a win-win for everybody but no if you um you're contracted in you're you're, you're making that money you're but good the, yeah and 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 to that point like the catch 22 is in new york city right is the mecca and you hit the clubs and the agents and all that but you're not making money in the city that's why you go on the road to try to make one uh, to two grand a weekend you know i see so that's that's how but that you're works. going in new york city because you're <laughs> first of all you're getting reps i have to imagine you have it's a craft like anything you have to practice and also mm -hmm. you're trying to build a following right you're trying to correct that's what you're trying to do right it's not yeah. it's about money later really you're making money now but you're trying to build something for later or that's right yeah. yeah it's it's just you know it's like the golfing aspect right when i don't golf but my brothers golf and they say you know don't worry about distance just get it straight the right. distance will come. Same thing with the money. Just do, you know, you know, be true to your heart and, and the money will follow. Um, so go ahead. Sorry. So no, the other thing I want to ask you about comedy is I was talking to Adam a little bit about this before you got on is that comedy has in our world today has taken a weird turn in that, mm. you know, comedy used to be this thing where, you know, like you said, I go in, I buy a ticket, I sit in that room and there was an understanding there that like what was about to be said was in comedic value and yeah. i feel like nowadays you know you can't you can't say anything anymore even in a in, even in the, the vein or veil of comedic entertainment and i wonder from the com comedian and the artist side um what is that like i mean has it made it more difficult as a comedian not to suggest that all comedians are out to say bad things or do bad things mm -hmm. but comedy used to have this sort of understanding i felt like where like yeah. well what's being said or what's being done is in the form of entertainment and for that regard only and there's this like mutual sort of uh relationship that or contract that gets entered into when i agree to come visit you or watch you or listen to you i'm open to what you're going to say and i'm not going to take anything personal or end or literal it's there for mm -hmm. that for that art if you will and yeah. nowadays it's very difficult to say anything or yeah. do anything without it being scrutinized or sort of evaluated. So, I mean, how has that affected comedians? And like, what's what's it like? Has it made it more difficult, or do comedians just not care? I mean, do you have to not care? Um, some you just gotta like not care. Um, in the way of, but being sensitive, you know. Look, if, if um, to to what what is happening in the world, but you can't. You cannot be ordered around in this world by people that weren't even on the planet by a joke you're trying to talk about 20 years ago or something. Correct. You can't do that. You, right. It's in, and and for people to apologize is I, I'm bewildered by that. I understand being compassionate. Now, now I'm not. You know, I've never. I had a really vanilla routine. Um, you know, and and plus I was hosting, and it was just really to. You know, right, like you weren't a people, controversial comic or anything. No, like, yeah, no, right, no, right, no, no, right. not at all. Right, no. right. I was just there, you know, to, I'm the hype man, right, to build up for my friends that, that right. are on the show. But, you know, when I do listen to like really successful top-tier comics talking about, I don't know if I really want to go out anymore and do this, I go, that's, that is 
not good for any type of society to um, to not have that outlet or release of laughter, of understanding, of satire. Right. Um, I mean, at some point, you got to say to people, like, grow up. I, I mean, I mean that in, in, in a real uh, supportive way. Like, if, if you're if you're really being bogged down or something um, because someone sees your life as this way, you can't assume that they're the devil. Right. It's a joke. Right. But and, I, and, but and, that's so hard nowadays. It's really like it's so bizarre to me. Um, also, it, Adam and I were talking about like, you know, going back, trying to go back and back and back and back and find people's um, some things that they've done 20 years ago in a time that was 20 years different than now and exactly. not evaluating the person for what they are today and what they have been done and their progress. Because, yeah. you know, as humans – the goal of being a human is to progress, to suggest that all humans are good and always have been good and always will be good is insane. Um, yeah, right. No, that's not true for anyone. Like, you know, the, you know, people that, what is it, throw, when people live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. I mean, that's like, right. but but if that person is has done something wrong and continues to do wrong and always has been wrong, that's one thing. But if people have done things that now, 20 years later, are deemed to not be correct, and that person yeah. acknowledges it and they want to move forward from it and keep moving and doing yeah. better shouldn't we be judging them on that progress and like i think that that's for me the world that i'm trying to grapple with today we should be focused on the individual and the progress that they've made you know well what you're mean? right and that and that's exactly it because i find in this society people want the benefit of the doubt but they don't give it correct and you know so you're going to point the finger you're going to throw the stone at the glass house I, for what? Like you're perfect? That's right. impossible. Right. I, I, I'd love anyone who anyone, and I've challenged people of that. You know, because when I when I entered the um, the, the politic uh, the political arena, people were trying to dig stuff up on me, and I go, "You got nothing." Right. You've got nothing. Right. Because Although I'm they'll, not they'll, that. They'll, they'll find stuff and they'll twist it and they'll try to make it a certain way. And I think the only thing you can do is say, "Look, this is who I am." This is what yeah. I've done. This is who right. I am. This is who I, this is what I've done. And let's talk about it. I think transparency and being open, in my opinion, is the best cleanse, right? So like yep. you want to dig up all the stuff on me, bring it here and I will happily yeah. talk to you about everything you have right there because I'm not ashamed of it and I know who the person I am. And people that are yeah. truly bad won't be able to do that. You know, they won't be able to talk about it openly. Yeah, and I agree with that. that that's why I say bring it to me. But, you know, this world is full of keyboard warriors. I know. And, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, ghosts. And uh, some of these people are just meaner than evil. And uh, they, they don't, they don't understand it's it's they're so hypocritical and um they, there's a lot of people with hate in their heart um you know they, they want to be forgiven but they won't forgive. I, I think greg i think that's one of the major problems that we have we have a we, we're, we're just too hateful we're too yeah. angry as a as a nation as a society and i think that's part of the problem we're always trying to bring down or or destroy and we get some sort of like good feeling about that and i don't i don't know where yeah. that came from in fact you, you mentioned being perfect like challenging to find the perfect person i just did another, an episode on, I, I host another show it's a mental health show about yeah. mental health for kids and yep. uh the, the, the episode that just came out today was raising imperfect kids and my my message there is that you should you should instill in young people this concept that it's okay to be imperfect what matters more is how you that journey and how you live through those tough times because life is not perfect you will right. not be perfect but being okay in the imperfection and recognizing how to build through it like you went through a tough time you got through it you had something that's that's the the bravery and the courage that matters more than the perfection because perfection cannot be realized it just can't be it can't but i i to to expound on that and juxtapose an example that that i espouse to that point is this look I try to tell people this. Every single thing you see on TV from the news to a movie is scripted. It's fake. I've been part of reality shows. There, There is an element of complete surprise and element. Okay? That's true. But there is also a script to it. Right. They're what just not up there freewheeling and doing stuff. There's, there's, They want them to do certain things. There's a, there's a course that'll, 
there's a course that allows you right. a freedom to do what Correct. you'd like. But you got to okay? follow the course. Yep. Yep. Right. So to your point about imperfect, everyone's seen on TV, oh, this person's got that. This person has this. Everything looks perfect. So they're imploding, in my opinion, because they realize that's not it. So they're being lied to and they're being fed lies every single day. And they're letting everyone else dictate how they should feel, what they should look like, what they should wear. And, and I feel they don't have a supportive base that helps celebrate who they are and celebrate their imperfections. Correct. And I think that is the, the real struggle of what is really happening here. And no one talks about that. It's, no. it's, it's, it's a shame because you're going to have to go through hell before you get to heaven on this one. And uh, it's going to be a little bit of a long road, especially after this reset coming out of COVID. Um, and I, I feel that I try to espouse positivity that if, if this was a global reset, then dig deep within yourself and set this course. Because if you're here now and you made it, you got a second chance in life and not too many generations and uh, decades uh, the history of this world get that chance, so don't blow it. Correct. I I I agree. I look at back at this pen at this two years. My you know my kids just went to school today without a mask for the first time in two years, nice. and I and I'm thinking back and I'm like, you know what? So many things were done experimentally, social experiments that we would never want to do. How what would happen if kids went to school from home? What would happen if this you know if we masked kids? And what happens if we mm -hmm. all went home from work? All these things have happened. You know, we have remarkable perspective. If you said, if you're, if you're, if you're lucky enough to, and people have suffered through this, don't get me wrong. There's been terrible suffering, but people have come out of it. And we now have a chance to ha look back on a terrible set of time and use that as a tremendous opportunity for growth and learning, mm -hmm. right? To look back and say, man, what a awful time. What a yeah. terrible time. I couldn't see my family. I lost family. I lost friends. I didn't see yeah. people. What now? I'm back. How do I now want to live my life differently? And what can I do to, to use that as like a learning opportunity? And I'm trying to tell my son, I'm like, imagine like you don't even understand when you get older, you're going to look back. You're going to be reading about what has happened here. Yeah. As a once in a lifetime, I hope, once in a lifetime yeah. event that we've went through, that we got through, what have we learned from this? And I mm -hmm. don't think people nowadays are willing to look at how to learn from hard. And I, it's, 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 it's sad. And I think, like you said, it's because we're so trained to be perfect and see yeah. what's supposed to be and not willing to look at what's wrong or flawed and value the flaw. And so, so, so just, 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 just look at the time. Cause I want to get to this quick. Like what can you do to help change? Well, you can, you can help with yourself. You can look inside, yeah. you can talk to people around you. You could get into politics and try to change it systemically. Um, yeah. And so you made the decision that you wanted to try to jump into that arena. And just with a little bit yeah. of time, I want to understand yeah. like, did were you were you just at a point where you're like I really want to try to do something like where was that impetus did you like tell me about when you finally were like I'm gonna do this I'm gonna draw I'm gonna do it well so where our business is located in Albany is in the West Hill section yep. and the West Hill is a very um, economically challenged place there's a 19 um, percent high school graduation rate there's great people there that want help. Um, you know, it's white, black, Asian, Puerto Rican. Uh, it's, it's great. We have trust. We're out on the street. You know, there's uh, consistency. And that area has really, really gone, really gone down the tubes um, in the last, geez, 20 years. And, um, but there's really good people there. And, you know, on my first, I've done a couple mission trips with the poor around the world. And my first one in Central America, I coined a term um, that I wrote about, and it's, you know, I feel a lot in America, especially that we're failing an open book test. The answers are right there. And we're just failing like day in and day out. So what happened with the genesis of politics was this. In uh, 2018, four years ago, the first murder of that year in Albany occurred in front of our place. It was a drive by one of the stray bullets missed my dad's office by seven feet. It hit the daycare next door to us. It was very scary. So I, I remember I was on the road for a show and I, I got back to Albany. I told my dad, I said, look, I think I'm going to reach out to the administration, the mayor. Let's sit down. Let's talk this out. Extend the olive branch. What can we do even more? Um, we, we, we've got to we've got to 
show the community and, and, the, and the capital district of, look, this is real and it's got to end. I sent an email, didn't hear anything for three months, nothing. So I got my film crew friends together. I started documenting it with videos about what was going on and doing interviews. Well, that caught everyone's attention. I'm sure attention. that got people's attention, yep. It did. You know, they in the papers locally, it nationally. And, and then you got a phone call, I'm sure. Did you and get then it? I yeah. got a call that day. <laughs> and, you know, and, they, and the mayor said it on the news. She goes, we lost his email. And mm. my, my retort was, well, if you're losing my email, what else is being lost at City Hall? Exactly. Well, because it's right. your job to be on top well, of it. you know this. where you are. Your family's been there forever. Come find me, you know. It's, yeah. Exactly. Right, right. So we finally met and I said, um, and I, I still, even to the day, even through the campaign, I didn't go below the belt. I extended the olive branch because I'm staying to my message and I'm not getting mixed up in your mire. I'm not doing it. So all these hints have been going on for, you know, three years at that point until last year. And then I really prayed on it. And then there was more drug activity. There was more shooting, more deaths in 2020, right on our block. And I said, all right, that's enough. I'm going to put my 20-year career on pause. I lived off what I saved uh, my 20-year career. I put, I, I, for 15 months, I did that. And then I got a team together, advisors, a PR firm, people I trusted. And when I started putting out the atmosphere, the Democratic people in Albany wanted me to become a Democrat. The Republicans wanted me to become a Republican. And I'm not. I'm an independent. Right. I've been that way since I was- And that's how you, you ran. Know, I'm, I'm, you I'm ran very me too. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. You ran as an independent, right? As I did. A, yeah. I did. And, and I just, I'm staying true to myself. I said, I'm not going to flip flop and change. I, come hell or high water. And this is not about party. This is about people, period, for me. No matter where it goes, I'm going to get this message out. So I did, and it, it took off. And um, I, it was, you know, I, you, and I, 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 I espouse this to people and convey is just stick to your message no matter what it is in life, no matter what your occupation is. Just stay true to that and everything else will fall into place. So I did. But it was tough in this way. Um, I met, you, you know, you meet people that are very, very bitter and anger, angry. And I said, you're not getting involved enough. On the flip side and the filthiness of politics, because mm -hmm. there is such a, an aspect to where they really, there's a lot of people that don't care. They are just ripping you off, period. But I met a lot of great people too. And I couldn't say everyone in politics because that, that'd be unfair. Right. But I, you know, there were people telling me, get out of the West Hill. And I said, no, I'm going to focus on, because my mind works like it's a jigsaw puzzle. It's piece by piece, neighborhood by neighborhood, block by block. I stayed there. Um, you know, um, more people in the inner cities in, in, in Albany knew who I was as opposed to the educated areas of right, Albany. Right. Okay. And then the hard part was I did see my neighbor murdered uh, by a drive-by last May. And, you know, they interviewed me all that. That was a horrific Oof. thing uh, to see. Uh, I, I watched him die in front of me. And it's, uh, I, I can't imagine what the military folks go through, the police, the firemen uh, on a daily basis. Because it really, really is something that you can't get out of your head. Um, and I just stayed to message. And you know what? At the end of the day, um, I, I got 17% of the votes. And I, I was 11 votes behind the Republican who had two endorsements of parties. And I knew it was going to be a win-win. Um, uh, I mean, I lost 10 pounds. Because I slept about four and a half hours a night, <laughs> because I took it seriously. Right? Yeah, you, you know, were, you were I, doing I, it. I was in a, I was in a, you know, when you're in a relationship with someone and you break up, it, it's hard. Well, I was so serious about it that when I didn't win, it's like breaking up with ninety eight thousand people. Right. Um, but I, you know, but I, I stay involved. Like I'm a liais, uh, a community liaison for the police department. I help new recruits. I'll do anything I can um, when I have the time to. To help out um, and what really is sad though is you know a lot of people especially in Albany these elected officials are such hacks and so weak that they don't even denounce crime they they don't denounce it and and you've got like people in the Ukraine and I, I know it's two different stories but in the way of you know the, some of these officials and leaders they're out there with they're guns. out there fighting right where they're out there fighting and you can't get any of these hacks to, and I, I have to use that word because I, I was in it and I learned that they won't even defend it because they're afraid of what the party's going to say. I go, right. it's not about the party. 
So um, we, we could go on for an hour uh, about that, but I, I know you got the sake of time, but it's um, it was a, I have not one regret. I was going to say, like, uh, did you feel good when you were done? You felt good about everything you did, like, and you wouldn't you wouldn't go back on it, right? You 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 really. Um, well, that's the first question people ask, like, what are you going to run for next? And I go, it, it, it took me two months till uh, the second week of January to just unwind. To, to come down to from the, it, yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was that intense, which I don't mind. I'm an intense guy. I, I like to work, um, but. Uh, um, I definitely feel good about it. There's no triggers. There's nothing negative because I just, I stayed true to myself. And I think that, you know, if, and, and I always said, if I can inspire people, even if the young students that are studying government or politics, um, political science, if I can in inspire people to get involved great because that's what we need mm -hmm. you got to have term limits you got to have new blood new ideas uh, and motivation will follow that way and i think things will get done um and until that day it's it's going to be an uphill battle but and no i it was no, all positive no, no regret and to bring it back full circle because as we close here is that yeah. you said stay true to yourself and these are all and that is i'm sure a concept and a value that you learned way back in the day at Sundays around yeah. your family where yeah. they taught you and always told you, you got to be true to yourself and always mm -hmm. do what you value most. And like, right. you know, you've, you've gone like, same with me in my life and my career. I've done a lot of things and I bounced around, but I'm always guided by a common, common value and a common theme, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like as long as you have that running through you, it doesn't matter what you do. Um, if you're just true to what it is that you're here yeah. for, that can manifest in different ways. As a politician, as an entertainer, as a fundraiser, as a neuroscientist, yeah. as a podcast yeah. host, it doesn't yeah. matter. As long as you're yeah. true to yourself, I think that's what comes through. And I think people mm -hmm. will feel that in you. There's an energy, yeah. you have it, I can mm -hmm. feel it through this camera. And I think that that matters the most to people because people nowadays more than ever want to know and feel real. They want to feel that there's a real and a trueness that's still out there that they can vibe with and engage with. I really do believe that. You know, I, I agree. The world is screaming for authenticity. I totally agree. Screaming. The world for that it. is just trying to make you think that everything is so real, but it's mm -hmm. fake as hell. Um, yeah. People yeah. want to feel that somebody is actually speaking to them genuinely with a real tone to that. So, um, you know, unfortunately, we're out of time, Greg. I could keep going yeah. with you, but um, yeah. we gotta we gotta wrap it up. So, I want to thank Greg Adele for coming on the show today. Um, you know, I just want to quickly mention the oh, and everything we talked about. If there are links, you can actually go to let me give you gregadella.com. Is that the best place that people want to find out more information for you? Oh, Greg? sure, yeah. And then it, it links to all sorts all of your, stuff. All your that. stuff yeah, that you got fine. going on, and then yeah. uh, any of those links we'll put in our show notes i just also want to thank uh adam claremont who you guys never see or hear but he's here directing and doing all producing all this stuff behind the scenes here uh, i want to thank adam and if you're looking for any uh any more work with that you can uh, check out over at studios.com and see what we can do for you guys uh greg thanks so much man i really enjoyed it yeah it's same here christopher keep doing great things and thanks to my friend adam there and dan and michelle over it they're great people they got good things going on so thanks so much for having me on and, and i hope to see you again soon Thanks, Greg.